Many of you know that I'm from a large family, not just my direct little group of eight, which is a small group by some standards, uh, but both sides of my family are large. The McBrooms, there were six of them. By the time you take six kids and then they get married and they have kids, that's a lot of people. And then on the other side, we have an even larger contingent of people. There were eight children in the Velker family, and those eight children were married, and God blessed, and there's a whole bunch of them. And so whenever we gather, whichever side, there's a lot of people. And one of, one of my personal favorite gatherings is to gather anytime around Christmas, just to be with family and make the Christmas bingo attempt to talk to everyone, which you'll, you'll never do. But each Christmas uh, at, the, at the Velker gathering, uh, my, grandpa, my grandpa Velker, uh, John Velker, has uh, taken the opportunity with the gathering of his, his significant progeny to share the gospel with them. And he spends as much time as he needs to talk to us about what God has done, what God is doing, what God will do, and to make an impassioned plea for the family to love God, to be faithful, to believe. Now, in, in recent years, my grandfather's health has been declining. I'm not sure that he will be giving his speech this year at Christmas. And that's hard. I recently was able to go see him. He is now at an assisted living center, and he's not talking as much as he used to. But he still has a lot to share. In my, my visit with him, he grabbed my hand, and he squeezed it, and he held on, <laughs> which I didn't know what was coming, right, because he hadn't said anything to me other than hello, and he gave me a hug and a, a kiss on the cheek. But he held my hand tightly, and he said these words, love God and keep loving God. Love Jesus. Keep loving Jesus. And I would tell you, if you were to go back and watch any of the previous years of his recordings at Christmas, when he, he, always, felt, he always felt like he was taking too long, right? Uh, that was the, the, the meat of his message was to love Jesus and keep loving Jesus. And today, as I'm sure you paid attention, if you were underlining or highlighting the love statements that we had in our passage today, depending on your translation, we said that word or loved, loves, love 27 times. That's a lot. And it's important for us to know, as John provides Two times in our passage today that God is love, it is only right for him to use the word love so many times. Josh Womble and, and, and Jake Beatty and I have been talking about this, that in this book, we spend a lot of time talking about love. I've talked with my dad about this. My dad has shared that John continued to preach love because evidently the people weren't getting it, Right? So I hope and pray as we get to the end of the love, love section of, of this book that we, we have learned 
a lot about love. As we talk about love, I, want, I, I do think it's important for us to draw some, some distinctions. Some, things, some of these have been mentioned, but I, I think they, they, they bear mentioning again, is that when we are reading John's writing and we hear John talking about love, that in the English language we have this word love that is sort of a Swiss army knife of descriptions, Right? If I go to Moby Dick and I have a great fish sandwich, I'll say, man, I love that sandwich. Love that fish sandwich. But I may also say, man, I love watching basketball. I may also say, Liz, I love you. Liz is my wife. We may tell our kids we love them. Hopefully, when I, when I express this to you and I'm reading in Scripture and I tell you that with all of my heart, I love Jesus Christ and I love God. Hopefully, you can see that there are some distinctions between that fish sandwich and my love for my wife and family and my love for God, right? That one word, you know, it means a lot of different things. What's the context? Well, the Greeks had different words for different types of love. They had a word that meant a brotherly love, right? Where we get our our, our word for Philadelphia, philea type love. There's agape, which is the one that we are seeing in Scripture that we're going to be talking about today. And as we talk about this type of love, it's talking about love that we have for one another, especially as brothers and sisters in Christ. And remember, as we, as we, we, we read here, John is writing to believers, encouraging the beloved, the brothers and sisters in Christ, to love one another. That doesn't mean that we're not to have love for the lost or love for the world, but we're specifically to have love for people who are in our family, and that is the body of Christ. There is a special relationship that we have with those who are in the body of Christ. These people who stood up here this morning and were prayed for by Jake, who will be going to Ecuador, they already have something in common with the Christian believers that they will encounter in Ecuador. And it transcends a language barrier. I've been on trips to countries where I needed someone to completely translate everything that was said or everything that I said. But I could see in the love of those believers that we shared a love for each other. We didn't know each other. But we were brothers and sisters. And as brothers and sisters, we we have that love for each other because God has first loved us. And so today as we, we continue in love, I want us to have that, that understanding that we're, we're talking about that agape love, that, that love for brothers and sisters in Christ, that love for others. I also want us to understand that as the word love is used many different ways in our world today with our single word love, that the world does not mean the same thing that we mean. The world may use love to describe lots of different things different than the examples that I, meant, uh, that I mentioned earlier. They seek to redefine. We've talked about this many times, about how the world wants to change things. They want to tell you that love is love, and they don't say the same thing. They don't mean the same thing that we mean when we talk about love. It's important for us to, to recognize the distinctions and as we, as we look at love from God, and as we look at love for our brothers and sisters, we will see that those are connected. 
we will see that they will be shown in different ways. So as we begin to look into Scripture and we begin to uh, walk through this passage today, I want to give you three main points. We're first going to look at verses 7 through 8, and we're going to look at God's love. And after we've talked a little bit about God's love, we're going to look at verses 9 through 12, and we'll see that God's love revealed, or how God's love was revealed. And then as we move to the final section, which is verses 13 through 21, we'll, we'll talk about God's love perfected. In 1 Corinthians, we have a wonderful writing about love, specifically about agape love. It's called the way of love. If you're looking at the little header that's, that's in your scripture or maybe potentially in your Bible, and scripture there in, in 1 Corinthians 13 says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith to, to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And this is the love that we're getting ready to, to describe, this agape love, as we get to verse 4. It says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then... Face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. So God's love. Hopefully I've provided you a definition of love. Hopefully I've provided you some places to go in Scripture to look at this love. Now let's go back to our main passage in, in chapter 9, and look at 9 through 12. God's love, God's love that he has for us, is, is revealed in, in what way? In what way is it revealed? Well, it is revealed in the sending of his son, Jesus Christ. We see that the sending of Christ was the perfect display of love, the giving of oneself, the giving of his son. He said in, in verses 7 through 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. 
And so as he, is, he has given us this introduction about loving one another because love is from God, we get our definition not from a dictionary. We get our definition not from what the world says. We get our definition from what God has done, what God has shown us. That is our frame of reference. And he says, anyone who does not love does not know God. As we read and we hear that, that should cause us to think. It should cause us to, to question. It should cause us to, to, to want to know God. Because our frame of reference is entirely based upon God's love for us. So we are to love one another, especially those brothers and sisters, the way that God has loved us. Love, as I have talked with someone this week, is a verb. Love is an action, right? God showed us by acting, by sending his son. We are to, in return, love and response to God's love for us. In our Sunday school class, we were having a discussion about husbands and wives and, and, and submission this morning. And part of that discussion talks about understanding that relationship with God and the love that God has for us and then the love that we have for others. And the love that we have for others is, is, is really to mirror that love that we have for God. And if we have a right understanding of our relationship with God, then we understand submission that flows out of love. And we have a right understanding of love for others, a love especially for our spouse, and a submission and a deference to our spouse out of showing love to them. I've got my notes flipped. Give me one second. So God's love, if we moving to 9 and 12, as I mentioned a second ago, in this way, the love of God was made manifest, all right? So let's talk about manifest just for a second. So when we talk about manifest, we want to see that God's love was manifest, or as I have given in my description in my notes, God's love revealed. God revealed love through sending of his son into the world. Why did he send him? He sent him because of our sin. This word that is, it's not used in all the translations, but the word propitiation gives us this idea, this concept that we were at odds with God because of our sin. We had a broken relationship. And as scripture says, the law was given not to allow us to earn or, or satisfy or restore that relationship with God, it made us aware of our need for forgiveness. It made us aware of our need for a Savior. The only way for us to be reconciled was for God to act on our behalf. In our call to worship scripture from, from Romans, we see the same word propitiation used there. And in, in reading that, we have this said in Romans 3, 27 and following. It says, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. 
By what kind of law? By the law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. We're justified by faith apart from the works of the law because not of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done for us. We are justified as a grace through a faith in Jesus Christ who has redeemed us. In verse 25 there in, in, in chapter 3 of Romans, it, it says, whom God put forward as a propitiation by what? By his blood. Through his shed blood on the cross, we were made right. Through our faith in Jesus Christ, the power that sin and death had over people was canceled. God gave us the righteousness of Christ because we would never be able to attain righteousness in our right living or in sacrifices or in any works or any amount of money given. There was no way for us to be made right with God. So God acted on our behalf. This is the ultimate display of love from God for us. This is how God acted. This is how God revealed his love to the world was by sending his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to do what we could not do. And John talks so much about love, I believe, in, this, in, in his writing and especially in this section of his writing because he is telling us that God is love and he is showing us what that love looks like. He's revealing to us what that love looks like. And that love looks like his son coming and dying in our place. His love is his son crucified and raised when John is talking about love, he talks about it because first he's given it as a central attribute of God, but he has also given it to us because it is the centrality of the gospel. If we were to talk about the gospel but to remove love, we don't have the gospel. Because the gospel is built upon God's love for us. Filthy, rotten sinners who deserve judgment. Filthy, rotten sinners who have broken his law, who deserve an eternity in hell. But because of his great love for us, he acted on our behalf, sending his son. His son lived the life that we could never live, dying the death that we deserve, being raised on the third day and living in heaven with God at this very moment. As Christians, that is what our hope is in. That is the gospel message that we, we preach. That is the gospel message that we share. That is the gospel message that has gone forth into the world. That is the only way for us to be saved is through faith in Jesus Christ. And all of that is built upon love. God revealed Christ so that we might live or have life through him. Christ is that ultimate display And because of that ultimate display, we have been shown how to love others. Because of that display, our response to God is not an obligation. Our response to God is not drudgery. Our response to God is admiration and love. And when we respond in love, Scripture tells us that we'll fulfill the law without necessarily having to follow the law, right? We will gladly do things for our spouse, whom we love, 
things that we may otherwise have grumbled about. If you come to my house and ask me to do a chore, I'm, I'm probably going to grumble because you're at my house, first of all, asking me to do a chore. But if Liz asks me to do something, hopefully what she sees most of the time is that I'm willingly doing things because of love. And that's what we should see in the life of the believer. Propitiation also has this idea of reconciliation or atonement that, that goes along with it. And that is the only way that we can truly experience love for others and love for God is if we have been forgiven, if we have been made one with God. Because, see, when God saves a person, when God saves a lost sinner, God does more than just reveal Christ and show love. God actually gives us something more beyond just, just forgive, forgiveness of sins. He seals us with his spirit. And as we look at verses 13 through 21 and, and we talk about God's love being perfected, we're going to see that this is how we know that we abide with him. If you're here today and, and you've ever questioned your walk with the Lord, if you've ever questioned, you know, am I really saved? This is a conversation that, that I've had with, with many people over the years. How do I know that I'm saved? Or I'm struggling with, am I saved? It's not based upon what you do. It's based upon what God has done. Are you fully trusting and believing in that today? John gives us this in verse 13. He says, by this we know that we abide in him. So here's how we know that we are abiding in him and he is in us. Because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world, and that whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. God has given us of his Holy Spirit. For those who say that they are believing and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death on the cross, Scripture tells us that you will be saved. And that is not an empty promise from God. It is a fulfilled promise from God, and he will give you the Holy Spirit to indwell you. So God has given you of himself as a seal, as a down payment, as a promise. And when the Holy Spirit begins to work within the life of the believer, we see God's love perfected. We see the life of the believer begin to change. We want to be careful and we, 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 want to, we want to make sure that people understand that you've had sin problems in the past. Coming to Jesus and becoming a believer in Jesus Christ doesn't mean all of the problems end. But it does mean, it does mean that you have hope. It does mean that you are forgiven. It does mean that you have a new citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. It does mean that God is going to work and begin working in the life of that saved sinner through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of his word. They begin to understand what it means to be a follower of God. They begin to understand what it means to be uh, a, a, a working, active agent in their life. They begin to understand the Holy Spirit's working. They begin to understand God's word. 
that they may not have understood before. They begin to understand why it is that we have, we have these sayings that we use in church sometimes that they may not understand. They begin to understand some of these things as they read in Scripture. That's what they're talking about when it means this. That's what this means in Scripture. They're not necessarily being taught just by a Sunday school teacher or a pastor, which they hopefully are, but they're being taught by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit guides us in the living of the Christian life. And what we want to see in the life of that saved sinner is sanctification. We want to see them growing. We want to see them learning. We want to see them loving and becoming more and more like Christ. That is the fruit of the Spirit. That is the fruit of the Holy Spirit working in the life of the believer, bringing them toward Christ-likeness. And as I mentioned, the sins from the past may still have consequences that they deal with. They're still saved. And if someone is claiming to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but we do not see love in their life, we do not see evidences of, of, of care and love for others, Friends, John tells us here that that we need to be careful and we need to evaluate whether or not we are believing. And that is not for me to judge. I'm not trying to be a preacher who's preachy. I'm trying to make sure that we are not lying to ourselves. I'm trying to make sure that we are not putting our faith in idols. Are we putting our faith in things that are Evidences, are they false evidences of our faith? Are we genuinely believing? If we're genuinely believing, our life will look like what John is talking about. It will be a life of love for God, a life of love for others, a life that is led through the Spirit, a life that has fruit and evidences of the work of God and the work of the Holy Spirit specifically in the life of the believer He says, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because, he is, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And friends, for those of us who are claiming faith in Jesus Christ, the punishment has been removed. We are living triumphant, victorious lives for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And our lives should be marked by that. Our lives should be evidenced of that. Our lives should be a living, shining light of God in the world. Not that we have the light in ourselves, but that we are reflecting and shining the light of the Holy Spirit. We love, our frame of reference for love comes from the fact that he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, but we hate our brother, we are liars. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And the commandment that we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So God's love is perfected, made complete would be another way of saying that. His, it is, his, his love is made complete in us through not our working, but through his working. And on this side of glory, we will not be perfect, but when we stand before him, we will be perfected. 
as we are brought into his presence for eternity. When a person responds to God's love and faith, when they confess Jesus Christ as the Son of God, this process begins. It begins with the sealing of the Holy Spirit and it continues for the life of the believer, bringing us to Christ-likeness, helping us to understand and do his word. John spends a good deal of time in Scripture discussing this. There are basically three chapters of 1 John that are all about love. And I hope in our time that we have, we have spent talking about God's love on previous Sundays and on this Sunday that we have developed an understanding for God's love. I hope that we have seen how God's love for us and how God revealed his love through Jesus Christ has has been at the center and is the center of the gospel. It is the center of who God is, as, as John has, just, has told us twice, God is love. He displayed his love for us through the coming of Jesus Christ so that we might live through him. And I would say that John has summed it up for us well when he writes in his gospel that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And notice that at the beginning of that, it begins with because God so loved the world. As we come to the end of our time together this morning in a matter of closing, I want to ask you one, one final question. How will you respond to God's love revealed? If you've not responded to God's love, I would encourage you to do so today. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins. Receive the Holy Spirit and begin walking in love. Begin following the Lord Jesus Christ's example. And if you have responded in love and faith in Jesus Christ, then I want to encourage you by saying, love Jesus and keep on loving Jesus. Please join me as we get ready to close with prayer. Lord God, we thank you for our day. Lord, we thank you for the love of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that uh, as we have our time of invitation, Lord, that if there would be any who do not know you, Lord, that they would make today the day of salvation. God, we thank you for, for loving us. We thank you for defining love for us. We thank you for revealing your love to us through Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that through the working of the Holy Spirit in our life, Lord, that you are perfecting your love in us. We ask and pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.